So, when did counseling stop being about problem solving? Well, not anymore. Introducing solution-focused counseling with the unlicensed counselor. And now, here's your host, Steve Moak. Well, hello, and it is a beautiful day in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona, as usual. My name is Steve Moak, and this is the unlicensed counselor. I am so grateful to have everybody tuning in today, listening wherever you're at. And again, this is actually available on video as well, too, if you go to Star Worldwide Networks. You can actually, not that anybody necessarily needs to see me in action, but if you choose to or want to have a different way to consume this podcast, by all means, it's out on video as well, too. Uh, What an interesting day I have already had. Um, I'm just going to start teasing. I am working on a project um, that is all around drug prevention. I've actually co-founded a nonprofit with a group of individuals here in the Valley who are building out a nationwide drug prevention campaign. We're very excited to be able to kind of come out of stealth mode here in the near future. Um, And actually today, the topic I want to talk about is prevention. We just did a big video shoot this morning as we're kind of gearing up for uh, for this campaign. I'm going to do some press, media, and PR. But you know, while prevention is top of mind, I think it's a worthwhile topic to bring to the Unlicensed Counselor podcast as well, too. So there's some really interesting stuff. And as always, going to take a question that we got submitted to us as well, too. But before we do that, I want to always give a big shout out and thank you to our sponsors. First and foremost, our friends at ShareTech. You know, ShareTech is the most comprehensive drug test available on the market. It is a confirmation screen. That means it is done by a lab, and they detect over 100 substances. Go to betterdrugtest.com, pick up one of these tests. This test, by the way, is used by some of the leading treatment centers in the entire country. So if you don't believe me, you know, the founder of the company... Uh, believe some of the treatment centers that we work with because obviously they wouldn't trust their results to anything less than the best. And, and, and ShareTech certainly checks that box. So go to betterdrugtest.com, pick that up. Obviously, our friends at Easy Sheets as well, too, whether you're a short term rental host or a sheet connoisseur as well. Um, my suggestion, as always, try the Kerry Loha. I like the white. We professionally clean them, press them, ship them to your door. You can change them out for the summer, change them out for the season. Want a temperature control sheet? We got you. Want some flannel sheets at the wintertime? We got you, too. So highly recommend. Go to easysheets.club. Check that out. And then again, go to the unlicensed counselor as well, too, .com. Uh, you can always submit questions there, which some people do. Most people follow us on Twitter. Instagram is primarily where we're doing a lot of this. And even Facebook as well, too. We're building up a nice little following is there. But if you want to book time with me, the unlicensed counselor, I'm happy to share in a little more detail and listen to kind of what's going on uh, in your life and see if I can provide some feedback and solution-focused counseling. I was at my therapist this week. So, you know, trust me. When I tell you, I, I practice what I preach, and you know, therapy is an important part of, I think, overall well-being and health. And you know, if you like what you hear and want to dig a little bit deeper, uh, by all means, spend some time with me. But let's dig into prevention a little bit today. You know, I talk a lot about addiction, and the couple things on this. First, let me set the table. Right now, today, right now in this country. We are at an all-time drug use high. I don't think people know that enough right now. I I just think that headlines of overdoses kind of just make people's eyes roll back and they kind of go numb to it and, and really just don't tune in to the fact that right now, the world that we're living in right here in the United States of America, we are at an all-time 
drug use high, no pun intended. The last time we were close to this mark was 1979, right? So, Steve, what what changed? Why are we using more drugs now? Well, the 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 thing that works is prevention, right? There were concerted efforts, well-funded campaigns that were backed by Hollywood, government agencies, the private sector. Many people will remember the this is your brain on drugs, right? We've even seen the D.A.R.E. campaign, but that this is your brain on drugs, that, you know, the eggs cracked in the pan and the sizzle or the person diving into the empty pool. I mean, those are those kind of jarring things that stood out to people. And what's really cool in, in what is so exciting about what we're doing with a new nonprofit that I've co-founded with our group is that prevention works, right? Let's look at Mothers Against Drunk Driving, that is a terrific job that that organization has done to reduce drunk driving deaths. Let's look at, let's go outside of addiction. Let's look at Smokey the Bear and forest fires, right? And what an outstanding job that campaign has done. Let's look at cigarettes. The reduction in cigarette smoking in this country has just been astronomical. So what is important is that when we set our mind to it, and get behind a prevention campaign with consistent messaging that's well-funded and has a very clear and direct kind of goal at the end of that messaging, it works. And from 1979, when we were at that all-time high, we have now, we had then implemented very effective prevention strategies, and they were consistent, they were repeated, they were endorsed by all walks of life and all different sectors, and it was effective. And we drove it down by 65%. Now, think about that number. If we were to reduce homelessness, violent crime, whatever it is, pick kind of whatever social ill that is out there, and we reduce that by 65%, there would be parades thrown for the organizations that have done this, right? Well, that's what we were doing with prevention. And now, for a variety of reasons, the, the shifting of attitudes has changed around drugs and the drug culture and the accepted, acceptness, acceptedness. I think I got that one right eventually. And that's just not okay. And now what has happened? We're back. We surpassed the 1979 number. We are now at an all-time high. And again, I just think people are either oblivious, don't hear, tune out, don't think it's going to impact them. And I'm here to say it's as high as it's ever been and we've got to do something about it. And the other part is, is that prevention is the only 100% solution to addiction. If we can have folks never have to start, they are never going to have to suffer the consequences that go along with the addiction and all the behaviors that, that, that come from that, whether that's health, whether that's the family, whether that's the loss of job, finances, I mean, you name it, everything that kind of happens when you start down that path can be prevented if we can get clear on our messaging around prevention. And right now, it really is confusing in terms of, you know, what the messaging is. I mean, from certain state and federal agencies, what you want, you want to hear what the message that you're hearing? Use less, use slow, use with a friend. This harm reduction concept is what's being pushed out to people when really it should be the exact opposite. Don't use it all. No drug use is safe use. 
and, and, and there's no organization across the country that's really championing that message, and that's why we plan to be the singular voice to kind of bring prevention to the masses. It works. You just need to have a champion that's out, that's out there and that's going to be doing it. So I can't stress strongly enough that we need leaders in our community, and it starts really at home, though, who are having conversations with their kids, with their loved ones, saying, look, you know, we understand the pressures that you're seeing that are out there. We understand that you're getting this from social media, from friends, from all these different areas. But in this house, this is a hard stop. This is a no. This is not even once type of thing. And, and really, it has to be such a strong line at home and in the messaging that we're going to be pushing out because with the, the evolution of kind of drugs, I mean, what may have gone from marijuana to methamphetamine to cocaine to crack to heroin to crystal meth to Oxycontin and now to fentanyl, you know, this stuff is killing people by the tens and hundreds of thousands. You know, I heard a statistic recently that just shocked me, you know, honestly, just shocked the heck out of me. And it was that we are having a September 11th style loss of life every single week in this country. That blew, that blew me away when I heard that number and kind of put in that framework. And I was just like, and how are we doing nothing? You know, I mean, let's look at COVID, for example. Say what you want about masking and vaccinations and all of that stuff. The messaging was very clear and it was very prevalent. And that didn't kill nearly as many people as this drug crisis has been killing year after year, decade after decade. And we got behind that messaging as a country, as a nation, truthfully, and let it be known kind of what that messaging was. So my point is when this country wants to get behind a message, it's out there to be had. And I really think that we need to stop, think, start to take prevention much more seriously as we kind of dig into this thing as a nation. And I just, I just wanted to make sure that we kind of talked about that a little bit as well too. So I wanted to start off the show talking about uh, prevention. I just think it's that important. I also, you know, I've talked about this in the past too. I do think the use of drug and alcohol screens is an important tool in prevention as well. Whether or not you actually want to drug or alcohol test your kids, just buying that box, whether it's ShareTech or whomever, setting it on the counter, and then having those conversations with your loved one. That is really important in kind of the effort of prevention because what it really does is gives that kid an out, right? It's like, hey, when they go out and they're sitting at that party or they're sitting out in the desert or in that hotel room or at their friend's house when their parents are gone and that joint comes around or that pill comes around, it's like, hey, guys, I'd love to. I just can't, right? I just can't. So, okay, just wanted to come out swinging and talk a little bit about prevention. I think it's really important. You're going to hear a little bit more around prevention from me and from our organization as we get ready to take our message uh, to the market. And this is really going to be kind of a back-to-school kind of push. You know, we do back-to-school supplies push and all this type of thing. I think there needs to be a back-to-school drug prevention message. And you can bet your bottom that uh, Steve and the co-founders of our organization, we're going to bring that to you loud and clear. So shifting gears a little bit, you know, I was recently listening to another podcast. I think hopefully any good podcast person would be listening to other podcasts and finding out what's good, what's, what's not good, trending topics, style, format, all that kind of stuff. And I was re recently listening one uh, 
from Dennis Prager, uh, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, you say what you want. If you don't like him, great. But I find there to be a lot of wisdom coming from him as an individual. And you can take or leave whatever you want, but I am a consumer of wisdom. And, and I just find him to be a great resource for that. And one of the conversations that he was having and, and a phrase that he said really stood out to me, and I wanted to explore it and kind of bring it up to this audience as well, too, was talking about emotional depth. Um, it, it really sparked something in me to start to think about what is emotional depth? Do I have emotional depth? And now as I have started going on dates and seeing people, you know, you have these conversations on the dating apps and when you're meeting people, it's like, okay, red flags, deal breakers, all this kind of stuff. You know, one of the things that I've started to hone in on is I've kind of done a, you know, a debrief or an autopsy on, on previous relationships in my life is I think that I'm seeking someone who has emotional depth and, and I'm going, okay, uh, that's an attractive quality, but Steve, do you have emotional depth in your life as well too? And I think the answer is, is that I previously had not, but have now started to seek it more and are kind of peeling that back within my own life and, and kind of making sure that I have that before I kind of just say, yes, this is something that I want in a partner. This is something that I want in a relationship. This is something that's important to me. So as I always do in kind of prepping for the show, I'm like, okay, this concept of emotional depth, let's explore that a little bit. And I found an article that I want to talk about, and it's got really seven points. It calls it kind of emotionally complex, but seven signs your partner may not be emotionally complex. But I thought it was interesting. And the actual genesis for this, on the, when Dennis Prager was talking about it, he'd recently uh, had a pet pass. Right. And I have two dogs. I have Biscuit and Lily. Right. Biscuit's my old man. He's I think he turns 13 this month. He's a little Shih Tzu, no teeth. His tongue kind of hangs out of his mouth. He's super cute. And and that dog means everything to me. That dog has seen me through two wives, wildly active addiction, staying up for days on end. Like I wish that dog could write a book or contribute to the book that I'm writing to kind of fill in the gaps. And there are so many gaps. But it was also one of the first things and people that kind of taught me unconditional love. And it was it sounds silly that it came from a dog, but it, it, it absolutely did. Uh, and then I have my other little puppy whose name's Lily and she's two years old and she's a, a rescue. And I kind of rescued a rescue. My parents dog had passed and they adopted this dog at one of these events. And there, you know, I don't think they necessarily should have adopted that dog as they travel and, you know, different things like that. I knew when they adopted that dog, there was a high probability that I would be inheriting this little pup. And, and her name's Lily, and she's a maybe a poodle and Maltese, but what she definitely is is anxious. And uh, but I, you know, they give you the little debrief on her background and things like that from the Humane Society. And I read her background and story, and just she was, you know, left for dead basically and abandoned and all of this other stuff. And it's just gut wrenching stuff. So. You know, when they're like, hey, you know, would you be willing to take Lily? And I read, I was just like, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, pets are near and dear to my heart. So I have two little ones and they play with my daughter and it's, it, I don't know, it just feels more like a home. But all of that aside, what Dennis was talking about was that one of his dogs had just passed. And how interesting we are as, as human beings 
to knowingly take on animals knowing that they will bring pain in our lives, right? Knowing that they will bring anguish and the sorrow that comes along with it. I look at my little biscuit who's 13 years old and just go and I don't even want to think about it. Like, you know, I would start to cry up and or tear up and just the thought of not having that little face who sits in my lap staring back at me. But what is it about us as people that that continually want to have that in our life and the joy that that brings. But he called it is that we were seeking emotional depth. And that really resonated with me. And that's why I started into my deep dive because we're, we're adopting these animals and bringing into our lives and the emotions and the feelings and the, it just, they're there and they love unconditionally and they need up. And we know that they're going to pass, right? And we know that they're going to pass. And now as someone who's, you know, kind of closer to the end with one of my little guys, it's, it's like, wow. But why do we do this? Why do we continue to sign? Because we want, we want to experience the joy that comes along with some of those things. I don't want to live in some shallow little life. What I'm trying not to do is avoid pain. Right. I want to seek in, in there's I think it's Tennyson that said is I want to drink life to the lees. Right. I want to I want to soak every bit out of this thing. And my whole goal is not to avoid pain, you know, and, and maybe I could avoid it a little bit better. I'd rather not get divorced again. Right. That that hasn't led to a lot of joy in my life. But I don't live in fear of these things, which is why I want to get back out when I'm emotionally ready to, to make sure that I find the, the next right person. So we don't do it as much for my daughter's sake than really for my sake. But I, I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to, to try and avoid pain. And I really think that that's something that comes along with pets and bringing them into our lives. We know that that's going to happen, but we choose to do it anyways. And I just think it's kind of a beautiful thing. And I think it's a great kind of example of this. But in, in terms of bringing it back to kind of relationships and the emotional depth, I thought this article was, was interesting. And it just wanted to call out a couple points um, specifically on kind of the emotional complexity and emotional depth. And I just think it's a really interesting topic. If you haven't thought about it in your own life, Maybe if you're hearing this, spend a few minutes today or at night or wherever you get a couple minutes of quiet time and think about where you are at emotionally and do you have kind of another layer to you? Are you operating at kind of that, I would call, I, I like to say it's shallow or kind of skin deep level. As I was sitting in my therapist's office this week discussing things, because you know I have stuff I need to process as well too. I'm like, before I even walked in the door, I'm like, okay, let's make sure that we're not just talking about things I like and don't like. It's like, this is time to dig, right? This is time to dig in a little bit deeper. It's fine to kind of hit the surface level stuff, but let's look at the feelings underneath whatever that is. What's causing that feeling of anger or frustration or ego or disappointment? Let's dig into that. Let's go one step below of just that I feel bad or I feel sad and find out what's really getting at and kind of creating those emotions or stirring them up for you. So again, title of the article is Seven Signs Your Partner May Not Be Emotionally Complex. And the first point that, that they talk about is they have a hard time expressing mixed emotions. And I thought the most important sentence out of this article is the ability to hold complex mixed emotions is vital to healthy psychological development. 
And again, that one struck me as well, too, because I'm like, when I get into an emotional situation, I tend to go, I can get into anger very quickly. That's kind of been a hallmark of, you know, when I was in active addiction, something that I continue to work on post all of this, uh, all of, you know, getting sober. And again, we're going on nine years removed from that. And I still talk about it to my therapist to this day and make sure that we understand it. But that's a, that's a singular emotion. So being able to hold these complex mixed emotions in my mind and be able to balance those, I thought it was really well said. So they have a hard time expressing mixed emotions. I just thought that that was really an interesting thing. And if you're not emotionally complex, that they may not be able to hold more than one good or bad emotion at a time. You really should be able to hold both of those if we're going for that kind of emotional depth and that emotional complexity that I think is important that I think a lot of us would like to have. And many of us maybe think that we do already have that. But I would challenge you as you listen to that and kind of hear some of these things to digest it and take a good hard look and see if you think that that's actually what you're able to do. Number two is they avoid intimate conversations, right? Uh, this is a really interesting one for me. Like, as again, as I start dating and starting to meet folks and, and having conversations, it's like, okay, what type of conversations, and I'm not saying intimate has to happen on the first date, but can they keep a good conversation? Is it just so shallow? Or can we dig a little bit deeper? Are they willing or vulnerable to have the ability to talk about things maybe a little, a touch deeper? And what I'm also doing this time around as it kind of pertains to dating is saying exactly what I'm looking for in the relationship or how I am as well too. I think in the past, and I don't think I'm alone in this, like we may say things that paint us in a better light, right? And I understand there's a fine line of that. You want to make sure that you're not scaring someone off originally or going too deep into a topic right out of the gate. But I do think making sure that it kind of comes through that you're looking for a deeper connection and you are a deeper thinker when it comes to these things. But I really find it important to be able to have these intimate conversations because it's going to tell you if they're kind of emotionally available or unavailable. And I see these profiles when you're going through the dating stuff and it's saying must be emotionally available. Green flags I look for, red flags, and that's always up there. And, and I don't think that it's wrong to be able to call those out. But I also am like, when I see that on a profile or something, I'm like, well, are you? Right? Like, I know what I'm bringing to the table. I know the work that I'm doing with my therapist and constantly reassessing, reading books, reading articles, kind of listening to podcasts, trying to better myself, trying to think differently, look at things from a different angle. And I'm like, are you? So, I don't know. I think the intimate conversations things, and, and look, if you're in a long term relationship, married, partner, whatever it is, I do think it's important to have those things. And maybe you had them at a certain point in your relation. Maybe it's time to see if you're still having them. See if you're still digging into them, right? Seeing if you're still on the same page of things. This world has changed. And I mean, it's, it's different. So making sure that you're having those conversations to make sure and sync on the important stuff, right? You know, you may not be able to agree where you want to go on to dinner, but let's, let's see if we're having those intimate conversations on the important stuff as well, too. Uh, number three on the list, they have a hard time admitting fault, right? In terms of emotional depth, emotional complexity within a relationship, I, I think it's really important that everybody is able to identify their fault in these things. 
it's never one-sided. Sometimes it's a little more one-sided than others. But look, I, you know, and I've been in this situation plenty of times as well, too. And it's like, look, I understand my fault, my role in these situations as well, too. But if the other person is not able to kind of step up and kind of share their role, responsibility, and fault in, in, in however these are these conversations are happening, I think that's a sign that we may be lacking some of that emotional depth that ultimately could be a, a, a tough thing in terms of having a serious relation with relationship with that partner. I mean, look, I know that we want our partners to get us. It wouldn't be a podcast without Steve doing air quotes. But, you know, they've got to understand the quirks, strengths, weaknesses. But you got to be able to face yourself as well, too. You got to be able to own your stuff, your side of the table as well, too. And, and I think that's just one of those indicators of, hey, you know, are we on the same page here? Are we really able to have a ability to admit fault in this thing? And by the way, I think that's going to help move through, you know, arguments and things that are going to come up as well too, faster, right? Number four, they are unable to empathize with you. If your partner's unable to relate to your feelings, it, there's a high chance that A, that's not going to work and that they are emotionally unavailable, right? And, and I think that I'm not saying you have to rush to get to all of these things, but I would certainly, as you're hearing this, take take a look. Start to go through kind of a list or create a list in your head. Maybe they have low social kind of complexity or emotional depth, which is okay. And if you're talking about it, maybe you can kind of say like, hey, this is some of the stuff that I'm looking for. I am a big believer, you know, as I've matured over the years of just as you get into situations, arguments, whatever it is, of just making sure that you're saying what it is that you actually want, right? I am not a mind reader. You are not a mind reader. I have expected people to be mind readers in the past, and that's unfair to them. It's wildly unfair to them. So, you know, are they unable to empathize with you? That is something that we should be able to see if you want to make sure that we're having kind of a secure relationship going forward. So I'd highly believe that eh, just be careful, but make sure that there is the ability to empathize with you. Number five, they cut people off without working on the relationships, right? I'm sure we've all probably dated this person before. Uh, hopefully didn't marry them. Maybe some of us have. I'm not going to. I won't throw any stones around this room for sure. I see you laughing over there, Robin. But look, you know, relationships are work. We all know that. Um, if somebody's out there and they're not willing to, to put in the work, it could be a blessing in disguise, truthfully, right? So if you're able and you're seeing that they're just cutting it off, emotionally unavailable, not empathizing, I mean, now we're kind of checking the list, right? And hopefully that can make your decision a little bit easier. But I think what, what this article did a good job of talking about is not just with you as the partner, but are they cutting off their friends, their family, their coworkers, siblings? I mean, all of these types of things. So let's, if you're seeing that pattern, maybe they're able to kind of hide it a little bit with you. But if you're seeing that pattern pop up in other areas of their lives, or maybe there's a lot of blame, or it's always that other person's fault or responsibility, you know, what is it when you're pointing a finger, there's four pointing back at you kind of thing? I know we've all heard that, but I don't know, something to be said for some of those things, right? So again, another little thing to look out for. 
if your partner's doing this to their life and they're not kind of willing to talk about it, work it out, may want to consider how you want to proceed with that relationship, right? Number six on the list, your partner doesn't have much of a reaction to things. You know, I thought this was an interesting one. I'm, I'm probably a little bit less familiar with this, but if you're sharing something that's, you know, maybe you're being vulnerable, maybe you're not used to being vulnerable, and you're kind of putting yourself out there and kind of hoping to, to kind of get to this emotional depth that I think is really important, or at least that I, I, I think is important that I would hope that many people are trying to do this. And all of a sudden, they're not there. They're not responding. They're not kind of connecting with that. I, that would make me nervous, right? That would make me nervous. Now, let's, let's also say the converse of this. If this is new in your relationship, let's give them a little grace as well, too. You know, especially as it breaks down on gender, right? I mean, male versus female. I mean, you might need to give the guys a little bit more grace to say, look, you know, I'm here's what I'm trying to do. Again, getting back to saying it is what you're actually needing and looking for. I'd like to be able to share this vulner vulnerably with you. I hope that you can understand, empathize with exactly where I'm coming from and kind of meet me where I'm at. I'm not needing you to break down and cry necessarily. But we as guys, you know, we, we're going to want to jump in and solve it. It's like, oh, yeah, well, here, do this, this, and this, and you'll be on your way. Like, that's, I'm not trying to just go, guys and girls, do this. And, but there is a little bit of that if we just look at uh, across it in general. So they may need a little bit of coaching, right, in order to help get them there. But if they are, if you are continually sharing things and they aren't just resonating, sharing, kind of connecting with you on that, based on their response, it may be something that you're going to want to consider in terms of are they that emotionally kind of deep type of person that, they're, that you're looking for? Or it's going to tell you that maybe they're just not interested in you, right? And this could be a good reason to proceed with caution, right? I just think these are worth noting, which is why I pulled this article up and wanted to share it with folks out on the podcast. They Number seven on the list, they refuse to express vulnerability. You know, the article states this, and it's just because I don't think I can say it much better, to be vulnerable, especially in terms of a relationship, you need to feel secure and trust your partner. If, you're, if you feel your partner isn't opening up as much as they should be, there are solutions to trying to get them to express their vulnerability more, right? So again, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, even though I've never really quite known what that phrase means, but I do know that it applies there. Um, vulnerability is hard. I mean, that is a big word. It is a, again, I think it's a big word for guys especially. Right. I think, you know, female to female vulnerability seems to be more natural and authentic and can happen. I've been working on being more, more vulnerable myself, but it's hard because if I do something that I've never really done that well in my life, I put it out there and all of a sudden it just drops like a hot stone and it lands and now you're exposed right now you're exposed and now it's like oh my gosh i i don't know if am I, am I supposed to cry like i feel bad and then you know what the reaction would be close back up close back up 
put the guard back up, be like, I, you know, make a joke out of it, make light, change the subject, move on, run away in that relationship, whatever it is. So, you know, vulnerability is a really sensitive thing and should be treated as such. I think it's th something that we should strive for. I think men could do a better job of this, but I also think that we need some coaching. And to our ladies out there, help us, right? If you could help us a little bit while we're doing this, I'd be like, look, you know, I'm gonna share something that I'm gonna be vulnerable with you. It may be a little uncomfortable, but I wanna say it, right? And then maybe the lady, partner, husband, wife, whatever could say, look, I'd like you to be able to share something vulnerable with me as well too. And maybe that can help us kind of create this emotional depth and go easy with it. Take this one step at a time. And maybe we don't need to go all the way back, but we can start with, you know, just something in the relationship or, you know, I feel this way when you kind of respond that way or when you do this, I feel this. Like, help us kind of guide us and coach us a little bit. But if we can both get to being a little bit more vulnerable, if we can have our lady friends maybe helping coach us around exactly what we need as men to be a little bit more vulnerable, I think that we can make some significant process or progress in, in kind of relationships and kind of breaking out of some of these old patterns. And I'd really love to see strong relationships with emotional depth, if that's what you're going for. I, I just think for long-term healthy success, I wish I had looked for some of these things. I wish I dug a little bit deeper into my own life to kind of see what I was capable of from an emotional depth standpoint. And that's really what I'm doing now to hopefully set my future self up for success when it comes to relationships as well, too. So, um, of course, run out of time. Well, I had a question that I wanted to be able to talk about today, but I don't want to run too long. Look, uh, I know we covered a little bit of, little bit of ground today. Prevention understand that you're going to hear a little bit more coming from the unlicensed counselor on prevention. I just think it's that important. This country is at an all-time high for drug use, and I don't think people know that enough. And then start, start thinking about your own emotional depth, thinking about what you want, what you would like to have. Think about how you can incorporate that into your relationship right now, or maybe a potential relationship in the future as well, too. Maybe it's something you're interested in, maybe you're not. It really struck me as something that I'd like to strive for, and I think it set myself up for, for future success. So, really appreciate the time today. Like always, follow, subscribe, like, review. You can find us all over the social channels. My name is Steve Moak. I am the Unlicensed Counselor. Until next time, thank you very much.